Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to Season 1, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to talk why and how landlords should adopt Flex in their portfolios. Today, we're talking to Mark Bott, head of serviced offices with international property firm Colliers. Mark advises organizations of all sizes, FTSE 100s to SMEs, and even landlords on how their real estate strategy and portfolio can benefit through flexible workspace, including serviced offices, co-working, and managed space, of which, Mark, I'm going to just wrap all into the term space as a service. So first question for you, Mark. There's a lot of stats on the growth of demand for flex space. In fact, we talk about some of them in some of our other episodes coming up. But I'm curious to hear what your clients are saying drives their decisions around flex. Certainly. Well, first of all, thank you very much for welcoming to the show and being on your podcast. It's great to be here. In terms of our clients driving their decision, in this respect, we'll talk about occupier clients. So we work with a number of corporate global organizations through to, as you mentioned, the SMEs and the whole range in between there. And really we've seen a huge shift recently in corporate real estate decisions, but also SMEs and how they procure and consume real estate. So in terms of the drivers of flex, we actually would maybe use the term outsourced property solutions or outsourced uh, workspace so similar to space as a service but for the for the sake of ease we can use flex in this conversation so what we're seeing the big drivers are simplicity in fact they can have one outsourced company deliver the whole of that solution for them take care of the facilities management the property management element design and it's really easy for a company to do so so the benefits for a corporate real estate company who have numerous global locations they can just hand over the keys and they know that a trusted partner can deliver and manage that space for them That's very important in terms of delivering a harmonious workspace environment for their employees. And similarly for an SME or a local occupier in the London market, for example, the simplicity of going into a solution, knowing everything is taken care of, and that means they can focus on the core running of their business, what they're best at. We're also seeing the one cost, the simplicity of having one fixed monthly cost or one quarterly cost in that respect, instead of the the traditional way that real estate is procured. If you go down the the leasehold route, whereby you have several different bills. So from a financial perspective, the FDs often love taking on board flex space that's wrapped into a monthly cost. They know exactly where their cost certainty will be over a period of time. I want to interrupt you there real quick, because I'm on board with all these benefits and these benefits have been around for ages with serviced offices. Why now? Why, why are companies jumping at the bits for this? Well, that's a very good question. Good point. Why now? I think it's become more accepted and the elephant in any room at the moment will always be WeWork. I think it's important to mention them because a lot of people in this industry wouldn't necessarily be at this point if WeWork hadn't grown the way they'd grown. And it only takes it back five or six years ago, they weren't even in the UK, they only had one location in the UK. And if you look at where they are now, they are they have changed the corporate real estate or the face of corporate real estate. And when you say they've changed the face of corporate, in what way? In, in a way such as large global corporates now understand, and it's at the fore, it's no longer an afterthought in taking flex workspace. 
They understand the benefits, the whole outsource benefits, the whole building amenities. Service offices are not new. They've been in existence for over 30, 40 years. We all understand and know that. But the level of building amenities and offer to employees can now match what the big tech companies can offer. So the Googles, the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's. We all know when we go into their office that we see a range of building amenities, um, the all-consuming gyms, the foods, the breakout space, the sleep pods, all designed to give employees a better experience. And if we look at some of the historical serviced office operators, they didn't necessarily offer that full range of amenities for a client. However, more recently, the American brands such as WeWork did offer that into the buildings, and that really changed the face of the game as well. So that's become acceptable, and it actually it's now often seen as the norm for corporate occupiers to go into and, and take some of that space. Well, historically, and I'll come on to a question about, about the landlord community in a moment, but historically, with the landlord community, um, dealing with these corporate occupiers, uh, someone signed a 10, 20-year lease, and it was the responsibility of that occupier to provide all these amenities. Um, and you were saying that now the corporate occupier is looking at flex. I, <clears throat> why is the corporate occupier not just taking the 10, 20 year lease and building out the amenities that work for them? A couple of reasons we're seeing when we discuss with our corporate clients. One is the risk in terms of taking on the lease and it might not be aligned to what their business plan is. So obviously, as you mentioned, the 15, 20, 25 year lease was the norm only a few years ago. What we're seeing now in the leasehold market is that around two and a half years in the traditional market is actually the point where leases are signed up and to. There are obviously exceptions to the rule and there still will be the corporate headquarters that are signed for long periods of time. But the rest of the market is now aligned to work on a shorter time period because of geopolitical events, because of technology, lots of uncertainty in the business world. So actually, it's just a period of becoming aligned with business risk and office risk uh, in terms of real estate risk as well. So the burden of responsibility is then therefore shifted. And actually, the corporate occupier, any SME can go into a flex space and take space for the term that they require, which suits them the best. But also from the facilities management element, the burden of responsibility is also shifted from the corporate or the, the occupier to the facilities provider, the operator in this instance. And I think there's a question a bit further down the line regarding sure. hospitality. Yeah. Um, or we can certainly talk about what players now come to this market. Well, so we're we seeing hoteliers jump into this market. We, we will come on to that, um, but, but I want to I wanna ask you this because I've talked to a lot of landlords personally who think providing white walls on less than five years is good enough. Can, um, you, can you talk around the kind of advice you're giving landlords on, on how to respond to the demand for flex? Absolutely. Well, if we look at the hotel industry, for an example, the hotel industry would never build a hotel without installing a bar or a restaurant because they see that not only as a... a an add-on for their P&L, but an amenity that people staying in the hotel want to utilize, and not only want, they need to have it as well. And we shift that towards the office market, and actually, from a landlord perspective, when they're developing an asset, they're now starting to realize that they have to put an element of amenities in there. So breakout space, F&B, uh, shared breakout space, or private serviced office space, space on demand, you know, outsourced office space. There's a range of different terminologies, but the asset owners and the landlords are understanding that actually occupiers want that space. And that's not only, not only the ones that are taking the short term space, but actually the corporate occupiers that want space on demand. So we advise a, a large number of corporates 
And actually some of our corporates say to us, we will disregard any building that doesn't have an element of flex in that building. On that note, um, we, we interviewed recently James Goldsmith. You know, he's the head of leasing for AXA IM over at 22 Bishopsgate, the new building, the second largest building in London. He said that large customers are demanding they have access to an additional 20% of flex space in addition to the footprint that they're leasing in the building. Is that the kind of demand that you're seeing? We certainly get that feedback from our corporate occupiers who are taking large space. They want to be in a building that gives them access to space on demand. Is there, is there a specific maths that work for that or is it vary or what do you the see? The challenge around corporate real estate is still the investment valuation of an asset. And so there has to be a threshold whereby the amount of space within the building doesn't yet impact negatively the valuation of the asset. So we see the on the, on the bigger assets, the range between 10 to 20% maybe around 15% at the, at the most for some asset owners. In regards to in how it might affect how the valuation? flex space okay. is acquired in the, or is delivered in that building because you know, the, the traditional valuations. When you say flex space, are you inc including amenity space in that as well? Or are you saying flex is part of the amenity space? Meaning like gyms, uh, common areas, etc. So at the moment, we typically refer to that as, as breakout space or workspace or private space. Um, meetings the, and events even. Meeting and events, okay, absolutely. Okay. The building of the future, I think we, where we will see some big shifts are the traditional managing agents of buildings will have to deliver a higher level of service. And actually, if we look at somebody like Convene who are coming to the UK and in the building you mentioned, they, have the, they are delivering a full stack of um, amenities for the whole of the building, not just for their clients in their space, but for the other traditional tenants who have been attracted to that building on the benefits of having a more efficient floor plate, having access to the amenities Convene provides. So I've seen some really interesting business models around the world whereby um, flex operators who have diversified into providing front of house staff for the building. We all know that the first impression counts in anything. And if you're a, a corporate traditional occupier in a building and the security on the front of the reception of the building is your first point of contact for clients that are coming in, traditionally they're not experienced in delivering a hospitality experience. However, yeah. the operational element mm -hmm is clearly designed to delivering a hospitality element, the meet and greet. And if we look, that, we look to that in the, in the flex world, four are a prime example of how they really go above and beyond in delivering an excellence in hospitality. I, I can't count the number of times that I've walked into um, office buildings and then the, the reception, it was just, there was, it, it wasn't a reception. It was a cold reception maybe. Uh, there's more security. Exactly, than reception. security in the building. Yeah, and I, and I think, um, you know, when we talk about the your term building of the future do you think that the building of the future is it has a hospitality element right when you first walk in the door i think it inevitably will do but it, there will be a threshold whereby the size of the building dictates what amenities are in the building but it's vitally important that there are a number of amenities within the building to attract talent in terms of uh, employees for companies so they can enjoy where they work they can access to all the facilities that some of the big tech companies provide them, which is why they are appealed and that why, why it's appealing to, to go and work for them as, as one point, of course. Well, but the building of the future could potentially have gyms, F&Bs, uh, sleep pods. I mean, it certainly should have F, uh, cafes, food shops, breakout space, private spaces. It could even have an element of um, residential there as well. So Mark, switching gears a little bit, some landlords like the Crown Estate, Land Securities, British Land, they've launched their own flex space brands. 
CBRE is now competing with their own Flexbase operator clients with their brand. Knight Frank just announced that they're selling WorkLife, that, that, that operator brand, to their landlord clients. How do you see this whole landscape unfolding and, and how should landlords be thinking? Well, it will continue to evolve, that's one thing for sure. We, and actually, if you go back to the, the past, Landsec had their own flex workspace department 20 years ago. They were ahead of the time, if one could say at that moment in time. So they've come full circle and now deliver in their own space. They're certainly, anybody who owns the asset is in a strong position because land, as we know, is finite and in central London it's well sought after. So if they own the asset, they're in a strong position. However, that's only part of it. They have to then deliver the customer experience and the operational business element and uh, Newable are a prime example. They've got great expertise over 40 years in the UK of delivering good quality customer service to keep clients there. Coupled with new brands and new ideas coming in, they are then for in a great position to do a joint venture potentially with some landlords. So the landscape will continue to evolve. It's inevitable that landlords will continue to uh, incorporate this within their plans and their, and their portfolio. Incorporate flex into their... Incorporate flex yep. or building amenities or delivering hospitality. That is unchangeable. What it looks like is all to play for. So you've mentioned a few of them, the British lands have developed story. They obviously will now do their own. They've earmarked around 10% of their estate. And that potentially causes a problem for any operator that has a, a leasing model only, because they may therefore be locked out of taking space in British land. That's quite a big or a large amount of space in central London, uh, primarily to be locked out of. Just to carry on as well what we do know is that asset owners are very good at developing assets they're raising finances and uh, providing structures that are appealing to occupiers what operators are very good at is the marketing the sales the customer services the fundamentals which can keep occupiers there for longer and pay a higher rent which ultimately people or companies are happy to do so if they're being provided with a service that they that is engaging for their workforce. So in theory, the market will continue to evolve and be a win-win situation for everybody. So Mark, when do you recommend to your landlord clients that they should partner with an established operator? It's an ongoing discussion we have with every asset owner and it comes in at various different points because uh, some, of the, uh, uh, some of our asset owners and landlords, they are more traditional in their outlook and mindset but it's certainly introduced very early into the conversation. And actually, if I go one step forward, the, the, in future, the build, you know, to go back to the building of the future, it should be involved right at the very start because there's got to be a consideration about the M&E. The typical M&E is one to 10, but obviously in a flex workspace and even in central London, people are, are used to working in a more dense working environment, happy to work in a more dense working environment in most capacities. Obviously, there are some industries that still have a, um, a more sparse working environment, but there's going to have to be consideration around the lift, the use of the lift at what time. So, so, so what I'm hearing on that is there's, there's, there's two areas. There's, there's a timing um, conversation and there's a mindset conversation. Uh, the timing conversation, um, if, if the mindset is right, that, that landlord should look at bringing and having that conversation at the stage of which they're getting ready to reposition a building or develop a new building right at the beginning, you're saying? Absolutely, completely agree. If we look at it in terms of IT, 
capabilities when an occupier is looking for an office, they now involve the IT conversation at the forefront of the search, whereas previously it was an afterthought. And this is moving in the same direction. The forefront of repositioning the building or developing the building, there should be a conversation around flex and what that looks like. But flex in that respect would also incorporate amenities within the whole of the building. So as I mentioned earlier, gyms, F&B, private space, breakout space, providing amenities for the whole asset of the building. So I've got uh, a few quick fire questions coming up, but before we get into that, because those are really quick, I have one little bit open-ended question for you. So going back to the landlord deciding on um, whether they should partner or whether they should lease or whether they should do it themselves, when do you think leasing to a flex space operator is better than partnering? We're completely agnostic in terms of our relationships with operators and we always provide best-in-class advice to landlords. We have no aspirations to deliver our own flex product at this stage, which is a benefit in comparison to some of the market that's out there at the moment um, and our competitors. So it really depends on what the outcomes or the perceived outcomes are for the asset owners. And so I want to dive into those, into those outcomes. So what, what, are the, what outcome um, says if, if the landlord wants this outcome, they should be leasing. So for a, a leasing event, if typically, and it all, it's all geared up around the valuation of an asset, if, a, uh, if the asset owner is a redevelopment and sell, then they should be leasing. And then of course, it all depends on the strength of the covenant. If the asset owner is a long-term hold and they're driven by generating income, the more appealing element would be to do a joint venture or management agreement because that is cash generative in an ideal world. Do you think that leasing event conversation will change when space as a service is recognized as an asset class? I absolutely do. There is uh, been obvious, obvious movements with RICS in terms of their addendum and uh, I think we have to thank Giles Office Space in town who has continually pushed that and I'm sure he'll see the upsides of that hopefully as Thank well. Thank you Giles. <laughs> um, but yes, as soon as buildings are valued like hotels and that will eventually happen, it's, this is obviously a less mature industry but it's the same principles, then the typical lease may change and, and flip to being uh, more of a managed agreement or a joint venture definitely and a profit share. And I would expect it wouldn't be the whole building that would be valued like the hotel. It would be that part of the building where the space as a service is located. Is that right? I'm not quite sure of the future, Caleb. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Here's your quick fire questions. Um, all right. So first of all, uh, you're a professional cricket player. Was. <laughs> yeah. must, must okay. A long Was. time ago. Okay. You were. You're a former professional cricket player. Um, any predictions for 2020 in the game? Well, England are in South Africa at the moment, and it'll always be a tough series over there. So, uh, but South Africa are have gone through a transition period. It's, it was great to see them win the World Cup in terms of rugby and provide a bit of impetus for the, the world of sport in their country. It's a, it's a fantastic country, beautiful place. But in terms of their cricketing sense, they've had uh, some challenges behind the scenes there. So that's all to play for. And that starts, I think, Boxing Day. And then England are off to Sri Lanka, which is a, a, a beautiful country as well. Again, they've had some challenges politically there. Um, so hopefully it's very well supported and it'll always be a tough place to go. Domestically in the UK, there's some interesting changes with a competition called The 100, which is a brand new competition that has uh, garnered some 
interesting views from the cricketing world, but the ECB have cracked on and gone ahead with it. And actually, it's interesting because cricket has had to evolve to remain relevant and it really replicates the business world and if you want to relate it to the office world as we're here everything needs to evolve and uh, to stay relevant and to uh, in this day and age when people are uh, challenged with their their time and, and their and challenged for their attention then we need to continue create new and interesting uh, uh, things for people to enjoy so the hundred is one to look out for I always like uh, sports analogies when it comes to business because I think we can take so much from from the principles in in athletics. Um, all right. So, how about your twenty twenty predictions for commercial real estate? Interesting. I think what we will see more of is the implementation of agile working or an agile workforce. Uh, we saw successfully that Microsoft in Japan in August actually implemented a four day working week. And off the back of that, apparently 92% of employees, can't believe it wasn't 100, but 92% of employees said they liked that initiative and it worked for them. Everybody, some, there's always going to be a workaholic in there. <laughs> but interestingly, productivity increased by 40% during that trial period. So there wasn't a business detriment to Microsoft. It only seems there are upsides, but other tangibles... Well, hold on. If, if that happens and we go to a four-day work week, how is that going to affect commercial real estate? Well, very interesting point. So a couple of other tangibles from that initiative by Microsoft was that there was a 25% reduction of electricity used, so a cost saving. There was a 59% reduction of paper printed, another tangible cost saving. So to transition that into corporate real estate or commercial real estate, and actually we've got an initiative by the government, the Flexible Working Task Force. Uh, so it's try, they're, they're trying to implement a more agile working policy. What we will see and what we're starting to see is that corporates and companies will take less core space as their office. And therefore, they'll outsource some of the, the workspace to agile working. So they'll take a, um, a dropping membership somewhere for their staff to utilize and use from that perspective. So that's, I think we'll see that a little bit more this year. There are, there are challenges, however, it must be said around security. Uh, especially in certain fields like banking and law, whereby you need to be careful about the, the internet security, what's on the screen and printing from that perspective. But it certainly provides uh, employees and people with what they want, which is flexibility and a little bit more freedom in that respect. Well, taking less space and outsourcing to flex space takes us full circle in how we started this conversation today. I have one final question for you, Mark. In, who's in our industry that like you look up to? Interesting uh, question. There's a, uh, it's a very difficult question, Kate. I mean, I, I, I think you can't, I, you can't say me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I admire what you've done. You, I've known you for seven years, and you're very persistent, and you've gone through some iterations, and you are really the definition of of hard work and persistence. So you're not a cricket player. You're a softball player. I just <laughs> threw up a softball for you to hit. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You got. You got to say something. You're, you're a basketball, right? Yeah. Slam dunk that one. So some uh, someone besides me. Come on. <laughs> No, but I, I tell you, in our business at Colliers, there is our executive uh, MD of, of Europe is a gentleman called Andrew Halizay, and he is a, uh, a hard-drinking Irishman. He, he won't mind me saying that, but he's a fantastic guy. Great people's person, always uh, looking to make contacts and bring out the best of people and uh, enjoys what he does as well, fundamentally. So he's certainly somebody that I look up to in, in the commercial real estate world. Uh, there's actually... Well, to put it to a, a residential, a residential world, the person who I probably admire the most is a gentleman in Australia called Harry Triggerborf, who was an immigrant born in China, 
I think in the 1920s, although you probably need to double check, but he moved around to several different countries. I think he came to England, um, to South Africa, then Israel, then over to Australia uh, with nothing but more than a few pounds in his back pocket. And he now has the nickname High Rise Harry. And from a, a young immigrant, he set about hard, through hard work and developing real estate to create all these high-rise luxury assets. So he's certainly somebody that I enjoy looking up to as an entrepreneur, as a hard worker, as a persistent businessman in that respect. That's fascinating. I was just looking up while you're talking, Harry. Uh, his, his, just, just for spelling purposes, his, his last name, Trigoboff, is T-R-I-G-U-B-O-F-F. You were close. He was born in the 30s, 1933. Not far off. Uh, fascinating. I've never knew about Harry. I'll, I'll be looking into him myself. Well, Mark, thank you for coming on and sharing your insights. Really appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to staying in touch. And we'll, we'll grab that pint again uh, soon. And uh, it'll be on my, my treat this time. <laughs> I think it's about 10 pints right now, Caleb. But well, you know, to drink them for, very slowly. <laughs> should we tell – you know, Mark and I have known each other, as he said, for like seven years. And uh, we, we go way back um, to where we worked in, uh, for sister companies. And um, we, we – Ended up working some late nights because we were the workaholics. We would not have participated in that four-day work week, though I think I would now. Um, and back then, we were, we were working late one night, and uh, we became friends from that point on. So uh, we've had a couple pints, haven't we? Over the years, definitely. <laughs> had a bit of food to go with as well. So we've had some good times. It's, it's always been a pleasure to, uh, to work with you, and uh, long may it continue as well. So thank you very much again for inviting me to come on here and share my views. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been great to see you, your career take off like it has. And um you know, maybe we shared too much information here, but uh, thanks again, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, tune in to the next show. Um, we'll be talking all spaces of service all season long. Thanks for joining in. Take care. We've got an exciting and insightful season ahead, and I hope you enjoy every episode. If you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think should hear the message. You can always find our podcast on our website, workbold.co, and click on podcast. And it would mean a lot to me if you leave the show a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram, or just search LinkedIn. Send me a message, a DM, send me your questions. What do you want to hear about next? Comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. I want to hear from you. Now, thank you for listening. And don't forget, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a Podcast Company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.